Welcome to Financial Planning for Oil and Gas Professionals, hosted by certified financial planners Justin Brownlee and Jared Machen of Brownlee Wealth Management, the only podcast dedicated to those of you in the oil and gas profession to help you optimize investments, lower future taxes, and grow your wealth. Learn more and subscribe today at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Welcome back to another episode of Financial Planning for Oil and Gas Professionals, otherwise known as FPOG. This week on the podcast, we are doing part two of generational financial planning. Um, And if you're not watching us on YouTube, you're missing out because Justin and I are wearing matching gingham purple shirts. But on to the podcast. So, So this is part two of James Hughes' book, Family Wealth. And in the first episode, we really, I'd encourage you to go back to listen to it. Um, I think it was episode 23. We talked about um, why legacy planning matters for everybody. We really kind of talked about, okay, the different dimensions of capital, uh, intellectual, human, financial as well. But we also talked about, you know, how legacy generational planning works in incorporating like a long-term time horizon. But in this episode, Justin, I want to transition to getting more tactical, right? So like hopefully our listeners have listened to that episode and they're bought in and they say, okay, I think legacy planning matters, but that's, and that's a good idea. But what does that mean for me today? Right? Like how do I, I bought in conceptually, but what do I do with that? And James lays out some great tactics uh, in the book and kind of some frameworks. And we're going to pull a lot from that and also maybe repurpose and right size it. Cause I would say his demographic is, probably a higher net worth clientele um, or probably ultra high net worth. So there's a little bit more rigidity and complexity. Um, so we'll kind of right size it, but the, the principles are still really good. And there's a lot, lot to take out from there. Let's start with just talking about the, this idea of like memorialization, right? And like, why, like, what does that even mean and why it matters to legacy generational financial planning. Absolutely. And uh, again, this book, Family Wealth by uh, James E. Hughes. If you're watching us on YouTube, we've got it there on the screen. One of the one of the interesting things, I was listening to another podcast recently and it tied in perfectly to this. Uh, the podcast is called Founders Podcast and uh, really interesting uh, deal. The uh, host of the podcast reads multiple books on famous business leaders, entrepreneurs of the last 200, 300 years. And then he does a, a long form podcast on it. Uh, but he did one on the wealthiest woman in America about 150 years ago. And uh, let's see, I believe her name was Hetty Green. And um, what was interesting was her her family had this had this sentence that they would just drill into her, and the sentence was: "Property is a trust to be taken care of and enlarged for future generations." And uh, when you think about memorialization, I, I do think square one is just: Are you talking about these things? Are you thinking about these things? And is there an attempt? to even be mindful of, am I training up the next generation uh, to handle wealth? And I, I want to repeat that property is a trust to be taken care of and enlarged for future generations. And you could also, you could, you could take James E. Hughes' definition and instead of property, it's just wealth, capital in all of its forms, financial, relational, emotional, intellectual, 
uh, human capital, every, every form uh, of that. Are, is your family uh, asking those questions and, and being aware of, hey, are we taking care of everything we have and growing it for future generations? Yeah, totally. And like, too, right? I think where you started is important because, you know, you have to set the expectations that, hey, this matters. Like, hey, what is our North Star, right? Before you, before you can more memorialize, you have to decide, right? Like, what is important to us as a family? And Justin, you and I were talking before we started recording of, if you were to ask a family, like, why does your family exist? Like, what is the goal and the hope? Like, what do you hope is true of the world because of your family's existence, right? It's a really big question that a lot of people haven't even thought to ask. Um, and, and it's a big one. But, you know, as you begin to answer that, that, you know, that's the beginning of the journey. But a couple of tools that he mentions in the book that are great is, is a family mission statement. And he defines it as an expression of purpose, vision, values, and goals for a family over multiple generations, right? And so having a mission statement that's written uh, that people can go back to um, is, I think is really important, right? Because, you know, if I'm reflecting on my own life, like why, why does our family exist? Like what do, we, what do we hope? What's unique about our family? What can we offer the world? What are we really passionate about? What do we, how do we want to deploy our capital? It's really unclear, Um in most families and they've never had the conversation. So that's a huge, huge, important, and I would say tough thing, right? That's a really big existential question. Um, you don't only have to ask, answer that question personally, but for you as a family unit, but it's, it's a worthwhile one. And, and as you begin to work through and process the answer, and I'm sure that answer may change over time because of how big of a question it is, you should memorialize that, that family mission statement and follow it over time. That's a great thought. And uh, I, the other thing that he that he points out, that there should be an inward component to that family mission statement and an outward component that deals with the outside world. Uh, and so that that really encompasses what's your purpose, vision, values, goals. So, so what do you want the DNA of your family to look like? Uh, what type of people do, do you want to be? And then what type of role do you have in the world? What do you have to offer the world? And Jared, one thing you mentioned before we started recording that I, I want to highlight, it does need to be broad enough to last multiple generations and encompass a lot of different personalities. It can't be so narrow that, well, the only way to live out that family vision is if, so, if my children, for example, are exactly like me uh, because they're not going to be. Yeah. A great example of that is like our fit, like a good family mission statement, but probably incomplete and lacking that won't last multi-generations is I want to uh, eradicate malaria in the Middle East, right? Like if, like if your kids, uh, if you're passionate about that, if you have a scientific bent, like maybe there's a ton you can do there. And that's a great and hugely noble cause. But if all your kids are artists, they're not really going to know how to apply their skills and energy and expertise to that demographic, right? But an, another another iteration of kind of that same underlying idea, but just more broad is, hey, I want to change the North African corridor and create economic and human flourishing, right? And, and like you've decided as a family, that's a region you're really excited about, but it's still open-ended enough to where people can deploy their human capital in line with that goal easier. Um, so that's, that's kind of the challenge there. It needs to be specific to your family and your passion and your family's history and goals, but also broadly enough to where it honors the 
the diversity of human capital. Um, yeah, because like you said, Justin, having the goal of uh, your family be to perpetuate Brownlee Wealth Management, that'd be a bad one. That'd be a bad family mission statement because it pigeonholes your kids and doesn't meet them where they're at. And it can't, you know, it can't live. It's odds of outliving you go down, right? Because it doesn't meet them where they're at. So that's that's a great, great call out there. I think it's, gosh, it's really helpful to use an example like that. If a family had a mission statement that was somewhat health oriented, uh, like your example of we want to eradicate malaria in a specific part of the world, I would hear that me personally, and I would feel completely removed from that because I will. And I was about to say, I have no interest in that. That's probably not exactly correct. The, the better way to phrase that is I have no gifts uh, personally that could help in that mission. Um, so you're right. It's just, it's too narrow. And if I hear something like that, my immediate thought is, well, I have nothing to contribute here. Yeah. And two, I guess that kind of alludes to, right. This needs to be memorialized, but also like the individual passions of your family needs to be memorialized, right? Like if like this shouldn't be an exercise that happens like one night with just yourself, right? This needs to be ongoing dialogue, right? You need to memorialize like one of the things that James also recommends, like he constructing a family balance sheet that's really taking inventory of human capital, uh, relational capital, financial capital, right? Like take take inventory of strengths and notice patterns and we and, and read through the family's history and think about your generations and what what themes or threads have been pulling on your family for really long periods of time and get, and get your kids involved in that, in that decision, right? It should be something that happens uh, as a family, not just, you know, one night with one person. Yeah. And so it's helpful and, and you need a little bit of both. Uh, what are the values? What are the specific things that, that you want your family to thrive in uh, within your family? And what types of things do you want your family to accomplish? And so really good to, to ask those questions. And, and, and yeah, I think it all even just starts the beginning of it is, are you thinking, hey, what wealth do we have? What is our financial capital? What is our relational capital, our intellectual capital? Um, and then are we being mindful of taking care of it and growing it for the next generation? Yeah. Let's move on to the second point. Um, so, you know, it's, it's all about memorializing right? It's kind of articulating, okay, what matters to us? And then memorializing like in writing, right? What are my assets? What's my mission statement? Having kind of a North star you can look look back to and a family history that can be passed along, right? Okay. So one, I love the idea of having a family history. Uh, my family fortunately has a, a pretty extensive written history, which is just really, really cool. Um, so I love that idea of, of trying to give your family an idea of where did we come from? Like what, what were our family members doing generations ago? Um, but the other uh, th- thing to think through, you mentioned this several minutes ago, I think before we started recording, that is memorialization is typically like really when you think about that word, that's creating a document, Right. Like the founders of of the United States created a constitution to memorialize some of the things they were thinking about. So memorialization is typically a document. Now we're talking about family wealth. This is kind of tangential to estate planning. One big call out we want to make. This is not a will. This is not a living trust. That is a a specific document that accomplishes an estate planning purpose and, and maps out uh, some, some, you know, specific things of, of, of how that gets done. 
This is zooming out a little bit, and but it's in addition to a will or a, a revocable living trust. Yeah, I would say that um, the will is the how, but it's not the why. And it deals with like estate plan, formal estate planning deals with the mechanics, but not the mission. You're going to fall flat on your face if you go to an estate planning attorney, but and like don't have a in and, and they'll help you say, hey, how do you distribute these things? But but not the why, right? And like, does this make sense? And how long do we want this trust to exist? And, and okay, is how is charity or philanthropy incorporated into this? And and how do we give kids the money now? Like these, like these are questions that you know you have to take a step back to answer. So this is done in concert with an estate plan. But I, I appreciate you calling that out. That matters. And some of the maybe the most important questions. So a will, a trust will dictate that uh, person A, B, and C get this amount of money. Well, let's first ask the question, are person A, B, and C ready to receive that amount of money? And what do we need to do? What conversations do we need to have to to help them, help this be a blessing and not a burden? And do beneficiaries A, B, and C know why we're giving them the money? And do beneficiaries A, B, and C know what we hope they will do with the money? And do they have a thread of, hey, I'm how am I connect how how am I part of this team, this family, this entity? Um, yeah. So I think, I think those are all, those are all really good things. And it kind of bodes nicely into the next point, which is role assignment. Right. And like, and that, that's really the next big point is like, I would say it takes a village to like do this thoughtfully, right? No, nobody who's done good legacy family generational planning has done it alone. It takes a village. Um, and so a, a great analogy, Justin, and I were talking about before this is like, this is a team sport. Like family generational planning is a team sport, right? Like generation one is all bought in, but generation two is not. Um, you're going to have problems there. Or if you hire the wrong professionals or you have, or, or if there's uh, tension between the beneficiaries and the trustee, there's a lot, there's a lot of potential points of breakdown because this is a team sport. So having the right people on your team and the right mission is crucial, crucial, crucial to long-term success of a family's generational plan. Absolutely. And uh, what would we say if we kind of quickly go through what are all of the different roles that, that someone would need to think through? Yeah, he outlines this and goes into greater detail in the book. But like, so there's role assignment, there's roles and then the kind of responsibilities within those roles, right? He talks about the beneficiary and how he talks about this idea of having control of the assets without ownership, right? It gets back to Justin's point of like, hey, this this exists for your benefit, but it's also not about you. And so kind of balancing those two pieces of tension of like be, like preparing somebody to be a beneficiary and thinking about being a team player and how do I deploy my capital in, in line with the family's purpose of, you know, how do I coordinate those things and, and being a good beneficiary is a taught skill. And how do I, how do I relay trust to the trustee, especially when we may disagree on stuff, right? Like being a beneficiary and being a good beneficiary is a skill. Um, Can I ask a dumb question? Yeah. Okay. So he talks about beneficiaries and this is, those are a lot of really good ideas. What if, if we hear beneficiary and you're thinking, okay, that is someone who's listed on my 401k. When I pass away, they are going to get $2 million. Um, What's the difference between that beneficiary and the beneficiary James Hughes is talking about in the book? That's a good question. Um, I would say those are similar, right? Like I would say beneficiaries are anyone in the second generation who can execute on the family's mission, right? So like 
that it could in most of the time it is and most of the time it is your retirement beneficiaries because you just it's just next of kin and it naturally happens but maybe that's not always the case right maybe you you don't execute you know maybe you don't right a, a great example of this is if you have a special needs child and giving them a retirement benefit uh, would disqualify them from social security right your ira beneficiaries might look one way but that special needs child they're inheriting a different type of asset in a special needs trust but they're equally they're equal participants in the family and the mission statement. So I would say most of the time those are the same, but not exclusively. And so that's kind of where I would delineate the vernacular, but that's a great question. And he mentioned beneficiary is control. You have, you have, you have some involvement, but you don't have ownership. So to kind of tie the two worlds together, would, would we say that that's essentially kind of a similar idea? Like if you if you have $7 million in IRAs, brokerage accounts spread out everywhere, and you've got two or three kids. Well, right now your kids are beneficiaries and he would maybe say, have them involved in some of these conversations, but they don't yet have ownership, but one day they will. That's right. And then two, if you had a trust that became revocable and then there was a formal trustee, that that would be like another delineation, right? Because they, they would have like a trust that kind of exists to which they are a beneficiary of, but have less control of for like an IRA beneficiary. You could technically do what you want, you know, the moment you inherit those assets with a trust. If it's held in trust, there's, you know, the trust governs distributions from that account. You don't necessarily have ownership. Yeah. But I think, I think the parallels exist, right? Because even if a child inherits an IRA and technically has control, if they have this framework of, Hey, this exists for, to further my family's mission and to apply my creative capital. Uh, my unique capital to that mission, like even that framing, if it's not in the trust wrapper, drastically changes how that capital is allocated. So, like even if you don't set up a trust and have a more formal arrangement, like being a good beneficiary is a skill that's learned, and you can write stuff into the trust to kind of prevent them from doing stuff. But you know, regardless of how you inherit the assets, there's an art to being a good beneficiary. I think is what I would say. That's a great thought. How about trustee, protectors, advisors? Yeah. So with trustees, um, they they have a dual mandate of being a fiduciary to the beneficiary, so operating in their best interest, but also operating in the kind of confines of what the trust is spelled out, right? So a good trustee will balance those well, right? And and being a good beneficiary matters here because if you're a beneficiary and you think you're entitled to the whole, you know, all the assets, you may drain those at the expense of pursuing the family's mission, right? And so it's the trustee's obligation to really advocate for you and do what's in the best best interest of you as a beneficiary, but also taking care of the trust and honoring the spirit of what was intended. So a lot of times you can see in estate planning breakdowns, uh, the trustee and the beneficiary being at odds. And James uh, Hughes talks about this. A lot of times it's it's a lack of understanding of, hey, what are my expectations or what are my obligations? So there's beneficiaries and being a good beneficiary and being coached on a beneficiary. And then trustee, having somebody who's trustworthy, who you believe can execute on these things and they're prepared to execute on these things. And they've, and they've built up the relational equity with your beneficiaries so that the beneficiaries trust the trustee and what they're doing. And if it goes south, is there a mechanism for uh, the trustee to be updated. There's so there's so many considerations here, but that's really just a yeah. beneficiaries and trustees. And is it okay if I real quick just give kind of a quick example of how this could be applicable? Do it. So you know, again, let's go back. Let's say that you and your maybe your spouse have, have accumulated 
$7 million, you have a couple kids, and then eventually you may have some grandkids. Well, there's that money is also one, it's going to likely keep growing if you continue to stay invested, even if you're taking income from it, very possible and likely uh, that your money continues to compound above and beyond that number. So there needs to be someone in your family who is ready to take on the role of trustee of your estate. And maybe that's one of your children, but there needs to be communication to that person. They need to understand here's the assets, here's the form they're in, you're going to be in charge, you're going to essentially be the the director of this um, as time goes on. And you have to make fiduciary decisions in the best interests of uh, the members of of the trust. Yeah. And I would encourage people to consider having trustee that's not also a beneficiary because that's kind of a divided, a divided mandate, right? The trustee, like, you know, you have a fiduciary duty for both, but it, it's hard to be objective, right? Because the trust has goals that have been embodied and encapsulated, but the beneficiary also has goals. And there, you know, hopefully translation of values, there's, there's little divergence there, but there is some divergence. So it makes sense to have a trustee that's that's kind of a, a third party, um, but also somebody close and that has a lot of goodwill and is going to be respected and also knows the spirit of what you're trying to accomplish. That makes sense. A third party who is not a beneficiary can really just look at that and say, uh, let's continue to, what what did we say at the beginning? Let's continue to grow this and and be a good steward of this and, and let it grow for the next generation. If the trustee is also a beneficiary, they could be an incredible, you know, family member, maybe a child, an adult child. Uh, but maybe they also want a beach house. (laughs) Um, and so, yeah, there can be some conflicting goals there. Yeah. So the next thing he talks about is uh, protectors, basically someone with no interest in the trust or assets who can just advocate uh, for the family and for the parties, right? This is like an aunt, an uncle, family members who uh, just have different, you know, they, they don't have any economic incentive. They don't have any dog in the fight, but they understand the spirit of what's trying to be accomplished and they could be a sounding board and a person of reason, right? And these people are valuable, right? And and, and a potential resource to the beneficiaries and the trustees, Right. And, and they may, may not ever be mentioned in the estate plan, but they're an asset to you in executing on your family's plan. So somebody that you should think about um, advisors is, you know, we're biased as we run a financial planning firm. But having professionals in your uh, in your quarter who can coordinate uh, and, you know, this is this is probably a team of professionals, not just one estate. You know, you probably have an estate planning attorney in here, a financial planner, uh, an investment advisor and a tax professional all working together to execute, you know, more on the executional side of, Hey, how do we translate this in a way that optimizes for tax and considers the generational planning implications and the estate tax implications. Um, but, but those, you know, having those people to execute on it, uh, in a coordinated way and help you, um, translate, you know, your family's mission in the most tax efficient ways is a huge, huge value add an important part of, uh, you know, the, the village that it takes to, uh, to build a valuable family generational plan. I'm going to just add one really quick point here. Uh, When you think about a trustee beneficiaries having advisors in there too, I do think one of the reasons why people end up hiring us is to have an objective voice into your financial situation. Um, Right now we're in the middle of a market correction and Every talking head, every every news outlet you look at really thinks that this is just going to keep getting worse and this is going to be a market crash. 
Maybe it does turn into a market crash. Maybe it doesn't. But uh, it's really helpful to have someone who's not necessarily in the thick of it, who's able to step back and say, we, again, are going to have a long-term mindset. And let's go back to the first episode uh, we did on this book. That was uh, podcast number 23. Long-term, according to James Hughes, is 100 years. Intermediate term is, what, 20 to 50 years? And so, again, having having someone who's not, not necessarily in the day-to-day, who can step back and have a really long-term generational mindset uh, is really important. Yeah. And the last one I want to touch on is mentors, right? And these are people, and I love James' framing of this. It's people who don't provide answers, but they help uh, they help the beneficiaries ask the right questions, right? That leads them to further self-discovery and self-actualization, right? So these are people like family, friends, uh, a network of people, people that are close to you, close to the beneficiaries that can really just kind of serve as a sounding board uh, and help unearth uh, you know, the tough question of, okay, here's my family's mission and here's my skill set. How do we connect these two things? Which is, which is a huge thing. Um, and, and that one is more nebulous, but really, you know, what, what you should take away, I think, you know, it's kind of a combination of points one and two take inventory of who are these people in your life and, and how might they work together in, in accomplishing and accomplishing these said goals. Cause really, you know, if you're going to be thoughtful about this, there's so many different bases, uh, to cover and so many different people to prepare, um, so that, that needs to start now. And, and, and it's, you know, it's not, it's not impossible work, but it's hard work. Um, but I, we're confident that just by being empowered and really understanding all the dynamics and getting ahead of it, uh, you can well position yourself. Absolutely. Um, let's finish with, uh, practice makes perfect. What do you want to call out there? Yeah. So this, this is really the, the biggest application piece. The biggest way I think, and this is a good takeaway from the book is, to give people exposure and mechanisms to act, right? So, like the problem with uh, the problem with most legacy plans is kids, the beneficiaries inherit money without clarity, without purpose, without vision, or any practice implementing on these things. So, there's a couple of key ideas uh, that we want to talk about that really are kind of practical ways. And Justin, we can maybe get even more practical. Um, but the first one is coordinated family philanthropy. Like Justin said, the family mission statement should incorporate, hey, here's the things we're passionate about, but also how do the things we're passionate about impact the world around us, right? It should it should have those two ideas connected in it. But coordinated family philanthropy is a great way to get generations involved today. So a, a mechanism we recommend a lot for clients, a donor advice fund, uh, you can add people to make grants or you can have... Uh, so you can have grant holders or and people can make grants on the beneficiary. So if you have if you have young kids, having them find a passion, a cause they are passionate about that, that aligns with the family mission and making an annual gift, uh, whether it's through the donor advised fund or just through uh, allowance or, you know, set aside funds from their budget. That's a great way is giving together as a family, both of financial capital, but of your time and volunteering and finding ways to incorporate that is a great way to reflect values and just begin to give them uh, experience to what what matters, why you're doing what you're doing and, and the good you hope to accomplish in the world. And I want to go back real quick. The first episode we did on this, uh, he pointed out that there's two typical failures that you see when when the second generation or third generation inherits money. One of them is they just spend everything. They go wild, they spend everything and it's all squandered. That's kind of the popular, you know, you hear a lot about that. 
The second one is someone who is responsible and they inherit this money. Maybe they get, you know, five, $10 million and they didn't know they were getting that much money. And they are almost crippled because they have no idea. Uh, they didn't know they were getting it. They don't know, well, what did mom or dad want me to do with this? Um, and it just cripples them. And so having some coordinated family philanthropy, and I know you were going to mention a family bank, um, having some of these conversations helps remove, if there's purpose behind it, it removes the odds of, of the next generation squandering it or being crippled by it. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, a family bank is essentially just, it's a mechanism, right? To where any member of the family can uh, go to it and petition, right? In a very formal and organized, memorialized way, right? Like with a business plan or an application or what, and you can, you could purpose that however you want, but basically petitioning the family to make an investment in them. In the book, James is really formal with how that and how that is structured. But I love the spirit of that idea. And you can, you know, Justin, you and I were talking about this before. This can serve really well across all stages. You can, you know, a ten-year-old with a lemonade stand could use, you know, the family bank to fund that. A twenty-year-old seeking to go to uh, medical school could, you know, use the family bank application to do that. A thirty-year-old who wants to quit their job and start a business could use the family bank to do that, right? But helping the kids understand that. The, the beneficiaries that they have a mechanism to make bets and deploy capital uh, and and take risk, right? Because risk and return are correlated, but you want to have positive long-term returns. So making the bets that 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 hopefully are make life worthwhile and that can really have compound and outsized returns in in your human capital, right? There needs to be a mechanism and a structure to do that, right? Like living a legacy is be, be, uh, is better than. Uh, leaving one, right? There's also marginal utility from from the people making the grants to get to see the kids get practice and get to see the benefit of them allocating that capital in those meaningful ways. But the family bank is just a great framework uh, for you know having having the kids have opportunities to uh, to deploy capital and to to ask for money um, and not, not a handout. There needs to be a business plan. There needs to be an intention. Uh, and it needs to be connected to the family's values, but having a mechanism to thoughtfully deploy capital in meaningful ways. Man, I am just loving that example of medical school. So I want to play this out just real briefly, but what an incredible idea. I mean, I, I think back to my time in college and in, in thinking through uh, my fraternity, but also just shoot, think about your own kids. If your kids grow up even with this mindset that, hey, we want to be great stewards of every resource we have and we want our we want to grow every resource we have for the next generation. And maybe you are absolutely paying for your kids college. That's great. I love that. But what if instead of simply paying for it, your kids grow up with this mindset that, hey, we want to be stewards and, and pass down more to the next generation and they've got to submit an application to the family in order to get college paid for. There would be so much more intention and, and just so much more purpose behind. And, and I think the 18-year-old or the 22-year-old going to law school would have so much more purpose behind uh, their next educational endeavor. You answer the question, why, right? You forced your child to answer the question, why is it worth it being paid for by potential family assets, right? And like a lot of people don't even ask that question. Okay, because... I'll make more money. Well, how much more money? What are you going to do with said money? Right? Like really helping people flesh out the the economic and personal implications of that. I think it's just, it's a really helpful exercise because I was, you know, personally, I was on the other end of the spectrum where 
you know, my parents were going to pay a certain amount, but they wanted me to have skin in the game. But there wasn't a conversation as to, you know, as to why, or, you know, it, it was, it was kind of nebulous, right? But they knew they wanted me to have skin in the game, but it wasn't really connected to a family mission. And, and I'm grateful for it. It was a different way, but, you know, in hindsight, there's different risk and returns. Um, so, you know, had I, had I done a little more due diligence, I may have, may have arrived at a different decision and I'm really glad I did what I did, but uh, it's, it's an interesting thought exercise and I just love the idea of a family bank. Um, and it ages well, kind of like what you, what I said earlier, if you can implement that really early on, it's not a handout, but it's, it's a thoughtful investment in ways that meaningfully, uh, move the needle in terms of your family's capital. Yeah, that's a great thought. And it just, it connects people. Like it, it, it's fun to think, gosh, I should have done this with uh, kids going to summer camp. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's applicable at all ages. And I think, you know, big idea to wrap up. We talk a lot about all different areas of financial planning. Estate planning is one of the five principles that the CFP board, you know, emphasizes. Now, estate planning is typically how do you pass down assets? What are the tax, investment, and legal implications of passing down assets? This book is an awesome thought exercise in something that is just as or more important. Estate planning gets the assets to the next generation. But don't forget to ask the question, is the next generation ready to receive the assets? And are they going to then be able to pass it down to their next generation? Um, So I love this topic. Yeah, we'll wrap up there. We've gotten some good feedback in the past few weeks. from listeners. So we appreciate it. Keep it coming. Uh, Ideas for future episodes, feedback on the format, podcast at Browning Wealth Management. Thanks. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. You can subscribe or connect with us at brownleewealthmanagement.com or send ideas for future episodes to podcast at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Thanks. And we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing discussed during this show or episode should be viewed as investment, legal, and tax advice. If you have questions pertaining to your specific situation, please consult the appropriate qualified professional.